You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Arlington Remastered. Chapter 5. The Speaker. From the Journal of Thomas W. Arlington, District of Columbia, February 12, 1883. I was in the White House at the crack of sparrows to meet with President Grant, and finally, after many months of cajoling, record his endorsement for the second printing of the cartographer's handbook. Before I could reach the Oval Office, however, there was the matter of his gatekeepers. Conrad Jacobson, the White House Chief of Staff and Communications Director Truth, stood before the doorway, arms folded, clearly having worked themselves into something of a lather. I examined my various approaches to the oncoming defensive maneuver, and opted to remain as calm and implacable as possible in order to keep them on the back foot. The sun streamed in through the windows of the reception room as we spoke. Thomas! Conrad. We need to speak to you before you go in there. Truth. How about you wait until he's said his piece, and then vet it before it goes in the handbook? He has final say. So this is a way of getting... semi-final say. This is about damage limitation, and you know it. You don't have to play hardball. It's not appropriate. I beg to differ. Come into the Lincoln Room. I may possibly be shouting at you in the next minute, and I don't want to ruffle the old man's feathers. With all due respect, you two do not have direct control over this. We can advise. Advise away, Conrad. I really am listening, but I don't think you're going to change my mind on this. Can we start over? Let's go from 1872. Read this. The riot in Knoxville. Yes, I know. It happened yesterday. I know. We gave you this information. And you know why? Yes, I believe the subject of my ethnicity was brought up once or twice. Turns out some people don't like being told what to do by a Negro. This is what happens when it's not widely known. Riots. Thomas, please consider how much worse it will be when it is widely known. This is serious. This is the most serious decision I think anybody has ever had to make. And it's on you and Grant. We're not saying don't do it. We've just brought you in here to suggest an alternative. A compromise. Lord knows everyone else has had to make them. You want to rewrite the handbook? Reshape it. Take out everything troubling. What's going to be left then, Truth? Not everything troubling, by any means. Just the bits that get people so steamed, and make them want to murder our boys and girls in blue on the spot. Okay, what's your idea? General Curtis. He's in it. For one section, yes. Consider bringing him in and have him work with you on a re-edit. He's known... People respect him, and he's a former Confederate. So the biggest troublemakers have a relatable white warrior from their neighborhood to look up to rather than me. I understand, Truth. That's why I put him in. Give him equal credit in the writing. Downplay your role. I can't believe you're saying this to me. Nope. No way, I can. Is this about pride? Do you need the credit that badly? No. You know I would be happy enough to call it the Cartographer's Handbook, written by an anonymous man of African descent. Doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, though, does it? This isn't about me. It's about getting them to accept change. You've read the new section with my history. There's a very good reason why it's not at the beginning. Assumption. I want the people out there to listen to three quarters of the book and assume it was written by a man like Curtis, somebody safe in the appropriate color for his level of power. But when I show them who I am, I'm not showing them the color of my skin. That's my life in there. 
That's the journey. That's the tragedy. That's the story much like any one of theirs. They thought their life would go one way. The Wendigo appeared and their life went in another direction. It is imperative that they see me as being in the same situation as they are. And when they get to the end of that story, if they still want to bash in the head of the cartographer reading it to them, then we're dealing with someone who could never have been our ally. This book is a test? Yes. It is an exercise in empathy. Over the course of listening, they have to go from their preoccupation with me and mine to caring about everyone. You put Curtis front and center, that's a safe, aspirational figure. He's going to inspire and motivate, but he won't change people. See, that's the fundamental difference between you and I, Dad. I understand people. I don't try to change them. You're going to screw this whole administration, maybe the country, if you push through with this. I can see the headlines. America falls apart because delusional man wants people to be fundamentally nice. You want to take the easy road? Stick me behind a door? Put Curtis out front? Who's going to communicate for the White House truth? Your Caucasian proxy I get to see in front of the press saying things you want to say? If they're going to write about me, they're going to write about you. I don't tell them what to do. I convey what this administration is doing. And I'm telling you right now, it doesn't matter if you get Grant to endorse your strength of character, your organizational skills, and your cat-like reflexes. The South already hates him. You're not helping matters with these inclusions. You're courting a second civil war, right when we need to be working together. Please, Tom, I didn't want to bring this out until we'd heard what you had to say, but... We've had this put together. Unity Today. How you can help return America to one nation under God. This is... Sweet Mother Mary, you had this whole thing done. You can take the time and read through it if you want. We can reschedule your meeting with Grant. No, this meeting is happening now. I'll read your pamphlet after, while I'm drinking my coffee. It will accomplish the same thing you want, Thomas. It's what we all want. Only this book isn't going to rile them up like your first, and you can be damn sure your second edition will. Let's see. In 1776, our founding fathers decreed that this land and its assembled colonies across 13 territories would become its own United States of America. That's your opening gambit. Reminding people of their heritage and the virtue of patriotism and tradition. Not something to be let go of lightly. I can't believe you didn't talk to me on this. You invoked the Declaration of Independence at your peril. It was the throwing off of the yoke of tyranny represented by the King of England. A secession. This is going to fire up people's determination to remain separate from the reunified states. You're going to accomplish the opposite of what you're setting out to do. You're asking them to look back. I'm asking them to look forward. Actually, if you'd read more than a few lines, you'd see this is carefully targeted to bring as many people as possible back together. By fostering their national pride and showing our humility. The people out there are hurting, Tom. They have no reason to have faith in a government that deserted them. Our book focuses less on what we've done here in Washington and what we plan to do, and more on the people out there. Much less talk of the Wendigo, less minutiae on equipment... There were so many pages in your book of things they didn't really need to know. Far too much assumption that they would be willing to be seen as soldiers for our cause immediately. It's not as much of a gamble as yours. And above all, we give them a sense of choice. But they don't have a choice. I made that clear. 
We've got the cold, hard facts at our disposal. If they choose to remain outlying, then the ones who have unified won't be able to fight off the creatures. But if we force them, Tom, think about it. Really think about it. You're a farmer in upstate Albany. It's taking all you have just looking after your children. Someone from Washington puts a gun in your face and tells you to sign your name on the line or the human race dies? My cartographers don't put their guns in people's faces. Ever. But to the farmer, they do. Those guns may be holstered, but the words come across as threatening. That might win your fear, but it won't win your loyalty, not your heart. Have you read the edition from Catherine Holloway? I did. I cried. She's a remarkable woman. And that will go some way, along with several other accounts, to getting some people on board. But ultimately, it boils down to choice. And I think you know that. You keep pushing, and they're going to break. The fact that you're African is just the final straw. So I'll ask you again. Once you're done with Grant, read the new book. Consider whether every person out there needs to know absolutely everything. And ultimately, whether it would be better to just give them the choice. Maybe not get enough support. And yes, maybe Washington going under. Leaving the future of survival to chance rather than mathematics. Is that really worse than pushing everyone too far? The president will see you now, director. There's one thing to bear in mind, Conrad. Whether we tell them a beautiful lie or the ugly truth, it's still propaganda. We're still leading them. Still coercing them towards our way of life. What makes your book any better than mine? Just read it, please. I will. And go see your sister sometime. I do. Right this way, sir. As I walked into the Oval Office, I spotted the Surgeon General, Julius Kaufman, repacking his medical bag. Ah, Director Arlington. Come to get another fascinating tidbit for your handbook? He's not interviewing me. He just wants me to tell the people what a straight shooter he is. Indeed. Do not excite him. I looked at the figure behind the desk. He had changed much since I first met him nearly five years ago. His weight had dropped. Frankly, all of ours has. But most of all, that alertness I originally noticed, while still there, was intermingled and weighed down with a fog of palpable exhaustion. I'm calm, Doctor. In your own time, sir. Did you know I had no interest in the military? My father enrolled me in West Point because he didn't want me to be a tanner like him. I was more interested in the horse riding than anything else to do with it. I served for eleven years from 43 to 54. Lamentable, regrettable, objectionable business it was. And so boring. I went through Mexico, California, Oregon... I missed my wife and children. You served, didn't you, Thomas? Yes, sir, but that was before I married. How about you, Julius? Field medicine during the Civil War. Then you know what it's like. For me, it was... limbo. It's an ordeal. A terrible prerogative. Well, I drank during my prerogative. Sir, you don't have to... I want to. I want to confide this one thing with you. It doesn't go into the handbook. Of course, sir. Kaufman has it right. It was a limbo. A netherworld where every day can bring death to you or the men at your side. When I was done in 54, I went back to being a tanner. That may have been the only mark I ever vaguely made upon proceedings in America. 
Leather is simple. Leather is not a business that keeps you awake at night. It wasn't until the war in 61 that I re-enlisted. I never much cared for war at all. But that didn't mean I wasn't very good at it. And again, I was drinking. And do you know what I got given after we took Fort Donaldson? Ten thousand boxes of congratulatory cigars. That's right. Ten thousand boxes of cigars. Couldn't save them all after Washington fell. This is the last box here. Spoils of war. Now at the time, the Union Army was being run by incompetent fatheads, so I found myself given the role of Lieutenant General. Do you know the last man to hold that position in the U.S. military before me? George Washington. Very good. And after a few years, when the war was over, I ended up with Lincoln's job. Washington's other job, too. These were great men. Inspiring presidents. Lincoln believed he saw that greatness in me. The same as I saw it in you back in 77. And as we're sitting here now, I'd say my assumptions are fairly well confirmed. I'm a good organizer. That you are. That doesn't make one a great leader. You're a lonely man, Tom. Look at me. I am, sir. You drink? No. I'm a drinker. Or at least I used to be. I haven't touched a drop since 1869. Couldn't. There's too much riding on me every moment. It seems I drink under a very specific level of pressure. And for the longest time, that pressure has been infinitely greater. But that doesn't mean I haven't had the burning urge to just pick up a glass, fill it, drain it, and just keep going. I feel that every waking moment. I even dream of drinking. And I wake up in a cold sweat, terrified that I've lost control of myself. But you'd never lost it. In fact, you've done very well for us, sir. No, I haven't. Sir, we... I haven't. I let corruption proliferate in Washington. I let the Democrats and liberals kick back against Republican order. And then when the panic began, I didn't act quickly enough. I waited. I bided my time. I moved the seat of government to Manassas and then back again. Rather than defending Washington and dealing with the infestations across the country. Thousands of people died that did not have to. Maybe millions. Because of my delayed action. Nobody could have been prepared for what we were facing. But I should have been. I should have formed an army and marched it over to Mississippi 11 years ago. Think how many lives would have been saved if I had dropped the role I had in place of the one I excelled at. I'm a strong warrior and a weak man, Thomas. Good Lieutenant General. Bad President. Ultimately, yes, my failures have been errors in judgment and not in intent. And my choosing you was not among these. You're going to save the nation, Tom. I believe that. I've tried my best. And the cartographers are the best of what's come of it. Now start the recording. Yes, sir. President Ulysses S. Grant, Washington, 
District of Columbia, February 12th, 1883. For reasons that will become apparent, the following information was withheld from the initial printing of this handbook. However, rumor and misconception concerning the identity and past of the author followed with it, leading many to discredit the information. There were several ugly conflicts that arose as a result of violent opposition to its very existence. Thomas W. Arlington did not rise to the rank of director of the National Intelligence Agency for any reason less than being the most informed, adroit, and determined individual I have ever had the honor of fighting alongside. As a tactician, he is to be respected and studied. The inception of the cartographers and the eventual framing of the information and events within this book are due largely to him. I would ask everyone who has read thus far to set aside all preconceived ideas. Remember the changes to our society given purchase and set into motion two decades ago and look to a future when this will no longer be an issue. <coughs> Is that sufficient, Mr. President? I've said my piece. I've said my piece. It is in their hands now. Director Arlington, are you satisfied? That was more than I could have hoped. Thank you, sir. Then skedaddle, Director. The Commander-in-Chief has to rest. I don't want Molly cuddling. Sir. It's all right, Julius. Thank you for your diligence. I shall take my leave. I have a lot to do to get this second edition finished. Owen, sir, you and I should talk soon. We will. You have been listening to episode 5 of Arlington Remastered, The Speaker, written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Thomas W. Arlington and Ulysses S. Grant, performed by Alex Shaw. Truth Arlington, performed by Theo Lee. Conrad Jacobson, performed by Spencer Lieb. Julius Kaufman, performed by Matt Wardle. And Mrs. L., performed by Sharon Shaw. Wounded, prospector theme and Battle Hymn of the Republic, performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Many Soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, 
Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Evan Jankowski, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Gasiga, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joseph Gluck, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksh, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Scott Jacob, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. And if you enjoyed Uncivil Outlaw, be sure to leave either an iTunes review or an Amazon review. Every single one of those helps us get to more eyes and ears. Thank you.